Viz daf meseches gitin is daf peiches eighty eight. We're beginning a couple of lines from the top of the page on peiches mud aleph. We're going to have four sections in today's daf. The first section we're going to deal with is the second to the fifth point in the Mishnah um, that we finished off with yesterday, the bottom of Pezayin and Bays, and we'll go through those and explain points that are relevant. The, th- the second point of the day is Agaratas relating to Choban Bayis Rishon that connects really with the last point that we make in the prior section. Turning to Peches Mud Bays now, we're going to go through the third section will be a new Mishnah discussing the concept of forced Gitin, and we'll contrast Jewish courts and non-Jewish courts when there's effectivity, when it's post-Latakahuna because of Reich Haget, and we'll deal with the status of forced Gitin in Bovel. And in the final fourth section, towards the bottom of the page, we're going to have a new Mishnah that deals with rumors about marriage and divorce. We'll see if there's any significance to those rumors and what we have to do regarding them. So let's get started. Again, a couple of lines, five lines down from Peches Mud Aleph. And we had five cases or five points in the Mishnah yesterday. Let's go with the second point now. The second point of our Mishnah was that we said in the Mishnah, if the witnesses are signed on the get, but not below like they're supposed to be, rather they're signed on the side or the top or the back of the get, in all these cases it's not signed along with the get and it's puzzle, you can't accept that type of a get. Asks the Gemara, is it true that when they're not signed at the bottom, but rather on the side or the top, it's not acceptable? But Rav, Signed on the side, and lechara it seems to be by gitin. So asks the Gemara, you see, it is acceptable. So the Gemara answers, Hasam klapiksav. The roof of his signature is was facing the ksav, the writing, meaning he did sign on the side, but it was written in a way that the top of his signature was facing the get. So although it wasn't under the bottom of the get, like it should be. Since it was facing the get, the top of his writing was towards the get, we know that he was signing on the get. As Rashi explains, versus the case of our Mishnah, when it's not acceptable, is when it's signed away and it's the bottom of the signatures that are facing the get. In which case we suspect maybe there was something else written on top of their signatures that was signed for, and it has nothing to do with the get, so it would be disqualified. Asks the Gemara, but this that we taught in our Mishnah, in the third part of our Mishnah, if you have two gitin, and the beginnings of them start in the middle of the page, and then they're written outwards. And the witnesses are signed in the middle. And they're both invalid. Now the Gemara assumes it means that the witnesses were signed in line with one of those two. It means if they're both written uh, from the middle of the page facing outward, so we're assuming that the witnesses signed in the same direction as one of these two, so the kasha is, says the Gemara, why are they psulim? According to what you're saying, figure out, look at which one of them the ksav would line up with, meaning which one of them will the top of the signatures be written in connection to? Because again, we're assuming they're not written across these two gitin perpendicular. At this point, we're assuming that the signatures are written in line with them, albeit that the two gitin are written from the middle outwards. But if you're saying what Rav did was acceptable, so here it should also be acceptable, whichever of those two gitin that are faced outwards, whichever of them, the ksav of the, of the signatures of the witnesses is the top of it is facing towards, should also be acceptable. It must be that's not true. So the Gemara says, Hasam, of that case you're talking about, to Ramelik Ivra, as I mentioned before. The signature was like the bolt of a door. So meaning, <clears throat> you had two get gitten from middle of the page written outwards to the right and left of the document that you have. 
perpendicular to it, like a bolt of a door goes across the door frame, and if it's perpendicular to the sides of the door, the door frame, here too it was perpendicular, it connected them like a bridge. Now in this case, it wasn't written in relation to either of these two gittin, meaning the top of these signatures was not facing either of these gittin, that's why it's disqualified. Asks the Gemara, but look at that third part of our Mishnah. Yihachi Seifa, the end of that third part, the Katani that it taught, Rosha Shalzeh Bitzadzofa Shalzeh, where you have two gittin that are written, and the top of the second one begins after the end of the first one. And the witness is assigned in the middle. So the one, the get that the witnesses are read along with is acceptable. But the problem is the way you're learning Pshat in the Mishnah, the Idirami Ki'ivra, if it's talking about where it's like a bolt, that means that you would have one get and then another get written underneath it. And then the signatures would be perpendicular to both of them, not read with either. So La Kamikri. It's not read with either of them, so why would it be acceptable then? Obviously, it must be. We're talking about where it's written in relation to the top get, and that's why it's acceptable. So Ella, the Gemara says it must be that the case of Rav, why was he allowed to do that then? Obviously, we refuted that even when it's written in relation to Gitin, it can't be written on the side. Even if it's written facing the top of the signatures are facing the get. So then why was Rav able to do that? Ella Rav, it has to be written at the bottom. So why was Rav able to do this? Ella Rav, Bidiski Avachasim. Rav, when he would write on the side, it was, a, it was a document of summoning somebody to court. Now, regarding that, we're not so makbiz. Sometimes we would sign on the side, it wasn't such a big deal. But regarding Gitin and other Staros, it would need to be signed at the bottom, <coughs> as is the implication of our Mishnah. Okay, let's move on. Now, the fourth part of our Mishnah said, Get Ivris If you had a get written in Hebrew and the signatures were Greek, it's acceptable. And we finished off the fourth section by saying, Now, the simple shot in the Mishnah is, as we assumed, where the sofa wrote the get and there was only one signature, it's acceptable. So, Amr Yirmi, Yirmi comments on this. How could that be acceptable? We only have one signature, so that's not shot in the Mishnah. Chasam soifer shaninu. It means the, the sofer also signed along with it. So you had the sofer as well as another person signed in. That's two, that's two signers. Two signatures makes the get acceptable. Amr of Chizda, Chizda comments, what's the Chiddush in this? Hamani, who is this author? Rabbi Yaisi is the opinion of Rabbi Yaisi. Now we mentioned this a few times in the Masechet already. Rabbi Yaisi's opinion is, You cannot pass over a verbal command from one person to another, which means you can only sign in a get if directed so by the husband. Therefore, there's no concern that maybe what happened was the husband commanded a shliach to hire two people to sign in the sofa to write it. But when they arrived at the sofa, they were embarrassed to not allow him to write it because that would imply they don't think he's trustworthy for writing, so they commanded him to do so. But then it would be disqualified because the husband didn't command him to. There's no concern for that because obviously, Mili Lo and the shliach would make it that if the sofa signed, he obviously was commanded so by the husband. Thus, when you find the signature of the sofa as well as another witness, you can assume the husband commanded like Rabbi Yossi says, and the get would be acceptable. That's the Chiddush of our Mishnah. The Gemara tells us a story where they made a mistake in the Mishnah. So there was a document of a ksuva that came out in front of Rabbi Yavo, and they recognized the sofer's handwriting, not a signature, and they also recognized one of the two signers that the signature is in the get. So they thought it's the same as our Mishnah. It says ksav sofer in our Mishnah. Even though there's only one signature that we can identify, it's still acceptable. No, 
as I taught Pshat in the Mishnah, it has to be that the Sofer signed in it, then it would be acceptable as we go with Rabbi Yossi's Shita, but if it was just his handwriting and one signature that you identify, it would be problematic. Okay, let's go on. The fifth section of our Mishnah said, Kasav, when it came to writing the husband and wife's names, it said, Kasav, Kasher. If you wrote his nickname or her surname or her nicknames, it would be acceptable in the Mishnah. So the Bryce here explains this very interesting thing. Although you're supposed to write really the fellow and his father's name or the woman and her father's names in order to identify them, you could actually write up to a certain number back generations, and it's the same way of identification. So Tan Rabbanon, the Brazil says like this, that when it comes to the surnames of ancestry in Gitin, you can go back 10 generations. Now, Tanakama means, instead of writing Yaakov or Reuven ben Yaakov, for example, you could actually write Reuven ben Avraham, because that was the name the family adopted based on their grandfather or great-grandfather up till 10 generations. Now, beyond that, you can't use. That's already not considered the name of the family. That would be like Shino Yishma, Shino Yishma, like a change of name. But until 10 generations, you could use. Up till three generations is acceptable. Beyond three generations, that wouldn't be considered a surname that's acceptable. Puzzle. So if you would use such a uh, far back uh, Yeruven Ben and use great 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 grandfather's names, it wouldn't be acceptable. It says the Gemara, like which of these two opinions does Rabbi Hanina follow? As he says, that if you write surname back three generations, it's acceptable. The Gemara says, come on, Kavshim ben Elazar. Clearly, it's like Kavshim ben Elazar. Okay, now we're moving on. The Gemara now tells us, what's the source for this? Where do we find a source in the Torah up till three generations uh, would be considered still part of the family, identifiably. So, what's the source in the Pesukim? It says in the Pasuk, when it talks about the impending Golas, Moshe Rabbeinu tells them that will be in the future, it says, when you bear children, that's one generation, and grandchildren, two, three, that's a, a third generation, then you will be uh, antiquated. So we're taking it out of context, actually. It means you live a long time in the land. The way we're understanding it is, after that, it's already considered a separate generate, a separate uh, family you can't use so far back. <coughs> now that we introduced this Pasuk, we're going to talk about the Chorban Bayis Rishon a little bit, as is predicted from this, these verses. Amr Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Lecharb, and this is the second section of the day. Amr Yeshua ben Levi. Lecharb Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael was not destroyed. <coughs> the exile only began until seven families of Malchus Yisrael worshipped Avaydazara. Be'eluhim, these are the seven families. Yeravim ben Nevat, number one. Huba'asha ben Achia, number two. Ba'achav ben Omri, three. V'yeyu ben Nimshi. Hupegach ben Ramalyo, five. Umenachem ben Gadi. V'yehoshea ben Ela. These are seven Malachim, Malchus Yisrael. Shunemar, as the Pasuk tells us in Yermia, Umlala, it is desolate, you'll let us hashiva, that which bore seven generations, meaning seven families of kings of Malchus Yisrael, which is Eretz Yisrael, Nafcha, Nafsha, its soul is miserable, Boa, Shimsha, Ba'od Yoimam, its sun set while it was still day, Boshe, Vechafeira, embarrassed and shamed. Now, Rashi explains like this, is that these, the gullus or the, the destruction was dated by these seven families, even though that's not all of the, the Malachim, Malchus Yisrael, that did Avaydazara, but all the other ones were connected to these seven families. The families of Yehuda, of the kings of Yehuda, are not 
calculated in because they were essentially side by side in the same days. And therefore, we're considering uh, father, son, and grandson in the terms of Malchus Yisrael like one family over here. So that's why some of these are not calculated in. These are like the seven uh, Bate Avos almost, like the families of kings of Yisrael that worshipped Avodah until the uh, Golis occurred. And Rashi just finishes off here. He says, In the days of Asheab and Ela, the Aseris Hashvatim were exiled, and that's when the Chorban began. So that's why we call it, the, Ch the Chorban begins at that point, because seven kings of Yisrael, families worshipped Avodah and then the Golis began, by Asher. Asher exiled the Aseris Hashvatim. Okay, now another note relating to that Golis. Amr Lirv Kanavar Avasi the Rav. So the problem is like this. But regarding Hoshab and Elah, the Pasuk of Malachim Beis tells us, He did bad things in the eyes of Hashem, but not like the kings of Yisrael that, be, that preceded him. And the Pasuk also says, It says that the uh, Ashur, the Assyrian king, Shalmaneser, came and he exiled them. He started the exile. So the problem is, if he wasn't as bad as the prior, why is it that in his days the exile began? So Amalehu Rav responded, the Shimrim, the guards that Yeravim ben Nevat had originally put on the traveling paths, so that the Jewish people shouldn't be able to go up to Yerushalayim. He was concerned they would go up there, they'd realize that his Malchus of Yisrael wasn't the real one in Yehuda was. So he put these officers there, not allowing the Jews of Yisrael to ascend to, the, to Yerushalayim during the Yontif. And instead, they went to their places of Avaidah Zarah. So those Shomrim, Bo Bitlan. Hoshea actually removed them. That's why he wasn't bad like the original ones. But Viafalpiki, nonetheless, like Oli Yisrael Regel, the Jews did not go up to Yerushalayim on Yontif. So this was already too much of a slap in the face. Because now you have the opportunity and you're not taking it. Those years of Hoshea and Elah, that they still didn't go up to the Regal despite having the opportunity, they have to go into exile. Because that already is too much of a slap in the face. That's why they were exiled in his days. Rav Meremar posed the following question. What does it mean when the Pasuk says, Hashem quickly, swiftly brought the bad on us, turning the, in terms of the exile. Hashem is righteous. Because Hashem is righteous, He brought the exile on us. How do we understand this Pasuk? So the Gemara gives two Ella, the first Teretz, the Gemara tells us, Tzedakah, Asa, Kadosh, Baruch, Hu, Yisrael, Hashem did righteousness or charity with the Jewish people. Shehig, Legolus, Tzedkiyahu, that the second wave of exile, of Tzedkiyahu, was sent to exile. Fa'adayin, Golus, Yechonya, Kayemes, while the first wave of exile was still there. Meaning, Golus, Tzedkiyahu, that was sent into exile 11 years prior, who took the Talmidei Chacham along with him, they were still in Bavel alive and well, so that the second wave of exile with Tzedkiyahu would be able to learn from those Talmidei Chachamim. That was considered righteousness, so that the people of Tzedkiyahu's second wave would be able to benefit from the Talmidei Chachamim of the prior wave of exile. Because by Golus, the Pasuk tells us, it says, the craftsmen and the gatekeepers, Elif, were but we interpret that what it means really is that along with Yechania went all the Talmidei Chachamim who would then guide the next generation, second wave of exile, which came along with Tzidkiyahu. Cheresh refers to that when they would open their mouths and divrei Torah and teach, everybody would become like deaf mutes because they would listen to what they had to say and not be able to interject at all. And Miskar, when it says the... Um, 
gatekeepers, it means even Shisaigrin, when they would close a topic, Shuven and Paischen, nobody else would open it because they, they would have the final word on every issue. Comment, how many of those were there? Elif, there were a thousand of them. So that was considered a chesed that the second wave of exile could benefit from the first, Talmidei Chachamim. Ula Amar Ula says a second pshat, Shehiktim Shtei Shanim Levinashantem that instead of exiling the Jewish people after 852 years, which is the gematria of Anashantim as predicted by Moshe at the end of, in Sefer Devarim, Hashem exiled us two years before. That was a chesed, because as the Pasuk says, after Venashantem, if we would have stayed in the land for 852 years, doing Avodah Zarah, then we would have fulfilled the Pasuk, we would have been wiped out, so he exiled us two years earlier so that we weren't wiped out. Turning to Pechesim Udbeis, let's finish this point. Amar Ravach Yaakov, Shmami, no, we hear from that, Mehera de Mari Alma, that this swiftness, the quickness of Hashem, Tamni meya v'chamim shin v'tartihu is 852 years, as the pasuk says, ki maher. So you see, the quickness of Hashem is 852 years. Now the implication of this is that the Jewish people, when they did avodah zarah for 852 years, then they would have been destroyed and swiftly, as the pasuk evidences. So Tosis is bothered by this because who says they did avodah zarah for 852 years, um, and therefore Tosis actually concludes that they did that they brought Pesel Micha, the Avodah of Micha, along with them from the desert into Eretz Yisrael. So therefore, actually, the Meheira, as emphasized by the Pasuk, would have been to destroy us after 852 years, and therefore the Chesed of Hashem was that He only destroyed, He took us out after 850, so we weren't destroyed. But you see from this that the swiftness of response to our Avodah is only after 852 years. Okay, let's move on with the third section of the day now. New Mishnah. And we're going to talk about forced Gittin now. It says the Mishnah. We'll discuss in the Gemara exactly if this is halachically acceptable, binding or not. Says the, says the Mishnah. Get me'usah Yisrael kosher. If a get is forced by a Jewish court, there are certain scenarios that the Jewish court needs to step in and force a husband to give a get. So if it's forced by a Jewish court, kosher. It's acceptable. She's divorced. But if they're forced, if it's a non-Jewish court that forces a Jew to give a get to his wife, puzzle, it's invalid. We'll clarify this in the Gemara. Uva However, if the Jewish court utilizes Goyim, and and they beat the person, and they tell the Jew, they do what the Jewish court's telling you to do, such a case would actually be acceptable, because ultimately it's being forced by the Jewish court. Says the Gemara, so he qualifies our Mishnah, that we're going to distinguish now between properly forced al and not properly forced al if a get is forced by Jewish courts, kidin. If it's forced by din Torah, means it's acceptably forced. Kosher, that would be an acceptable get. She's divorced. Shelo kidin. But if a Jewish court forces it, but it's not al pitora, puzzle. So the get is puzzle upaisal. But that's considered a reach a get that shall already be considered pesula to kahuna. Now when it comes to a. a uh, get that's forced by Goyim, everything goes down a notch, which means Kedin, if it's forced, even al pitora, Pasel Upaisel, so it would be considered invalid that she's not divorced, but it would also invalidate her from Kahuna. It has Reach Haget. Shalok Kedin, but if it was forced by Goyim and it was not al pitora, Afilo Reach Haget Einbo, it doesn't even have Reach Haget. She's totally not divorced. She's not even Pasel to Kahuna. And the Gemara wonders about that third line of, of Shmuel's statement, or of Nachman Amar Shmuel. We said when Goyim forced the get Kedin, al Pitzora, it's puzzled. The get's not going to divorce her, but she is puzzled, puzzled, meaning it invalidates her to Kahuna as well. So Manif the Gemara says, I don't understand. Either way you look at this, this line is difficult. 
If Goyim could force someone to do a get and it would be effective, so is Kashure Namilis Kasher. So then she should be considered divorced, and why is she not considered divorced? And Elab bin Asuyaninu, if when they force it's not considered binding, so if so lifts all, then why would it invalidate her to Kahuna? So Amr Mashash Mashash gives the first attempt at answer. He says, Devar Tyra really me dairaisa. Get kasher. A get that's forced by Goyim would be acceptable. And since it would be acceptable, such a get would invalidate her to Kahuna. However, Umatam Amru Pasl, why did the Chachamim say it does not act as a full divorce? In order that Goyim, that, that women, Jewish women won't go and hire Goyim to beat up their husbands in order to force them to be divorced. And remove themselves from their husbands. So in order to avoid that issue, they said such a get would be invalid, even though Alpitorah it actually is acceptable. But since Alpitorah is acceptable, it'll pasal her to Kahuna with Reach a get. He says the Gemara, if that's true. So Shaloi Kedin, why does Shmuel say when it's Shaloi Kedin, Afilu Reach get ain't by that if the Goyim force the get to be done, not al there's not even Reach get. If you're telling me that Midai Raisa, they could force a get properly and it would be effective Midai Raisa, then Ahavi Shaloi Kedin ki Yisrael, umifsil nami lifsil. At least it should be like Shaloi Kedin of Yisrael, an invalidator to Kahuna. So why doesn't invalidator to Kahuna, according to Shmuel, if al they could actually force by Kedin? So even Shaloi Kedin, we should make it like Shaloi Kedin of Yisrael, an invalidator to Kahuna. Ella, the Gemara says, Hadr of Mesharshia Badusahi, this was fiction. What Mesharshia said is not true. Really, if a guy forces a get it, Alpitar, it's not effective altogether. And that's why when it comes to Shalokidin, it doesn't even pasal or to Kahuna. The time am I. So then what's the reason that's pasal u paisel? What's the reason that when it comes to Kedin of a guy, it will actually invalidate or to, to uh, to Kehuna. So the Gemara says the second answer, which is Kedin be Kedin de Yisrael Michlaf. It's a Gezerah. When they force a get, when a guy forces a get, Alpitora, that could be mistaken for a Jew forcing a get. So if we wouldn't say it passes or to Kehuna, so when a Jew forces a get, he might think it's not effective as well. So therefore, there's a Gezerah to say it passes or to Kehuna. But Shaloi Kedin, but not Kedin of a guy, be Kedin de Yisrael with Kedin of a Jew, Loi Michlaf, there's no mistake that could be made, and therefore we're going to say it's completely ineffective and she's not even puzzled to Kehuna. Rashi just points out, even though it's true, Shaloi Kedin of a Yisrael passes or to Kehuna, that itself is a Gezerah at to Kedin of a Yisrael. We're not going to extend a Gezerah to Gezerah, so we're not going to invalidate her to Kahuna when it's Shaloi Kedin of a Goy based on Shaloi Kedin of a Jew, which is based on Kedin of a Jew as well. Now the Gemara tells us a related story how the Chachamim in Bavel acted regarding forcing Gitim. Abai Ashkache, the Rav Yosef, the Yosef Abai found his Rebbe Rav Yosef, who was forcing a certain Jew to give a get to his wife. Now they're all in Bavel. Amar Lesa, Abai said to his Rebbe Rav Yosef, But we're Hegeitis, meaning we are simpletons in regards to certain halachas, which we're going to see require smicha, and smicha was only done in Eretz Yisrael. We're not allowed to perform those laws in Chutzala Aretz. Rashi here points out, Smuchin are only people that are called Elikim. And Alekim, this is a language that's referring to judges that are properly infor- uh, allowed 
to, uh, to do certain laws. One of those was for singitin. And the Brisa says, V'tanya, how Rabbi Tarfan, Rabbi Tarfan used to say, Kolmakum shatam might say, wherever you find gatherings of courts of Goyim, even if they follow the same rules of, of Jews, you can't go to them to be judged. Because the Pasuk tells us, these are the laws that shall be placed in front of them. Rashi explains what does it mean. It means referring to the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu had the 70 Zikanim before Matan Torah. He learns how we understand that even though this is after Matan Torah, but the point is, the drush here is, in front of them you could go for Mishpatim for judgment, not in front of Goyim. Now that's the first shot, which is not Nogetar Sugya. The second shot, which is Nogetar Sugya, is in front of them. The halacha is, is that they're allowed to carry out because they're considered smuchim from Moshe Rabbeinu and all the way down for future generations that were receive smicha from their descendants in Eretz Yisrael particularly, so lefnehem, they're allowed to carry out these judgments, velo hediotos, but not in front of hediotos, those that don't have smicha. And one of those laws is gitin, you're not allowed to force gitin. So how could you in Bavel, who don't have smicha, because you're in Bavel and Chutzel Eretz, carry out force, forcing gitin? So Amrlei, Sir Yosef responded, We are carrying out as shluchim, as messengers of the Chachamim in Eretz Yisrael for Singitin. Since they could do it, we're their messengers. We're also allowed to do the same thing. Just like the halachas of people that admit and loans, there are other halachas that also can only be carried out by smuchim, not by hediotes, by professionals. We could do those in Bavel as messengers of the people in Eretz Yisrael. With Gitin, it's the same thing. Says the Gemari, Hachi, if that's true, nami. So when it comes to thievery and damages, it should be the same thing. And we know that the halacha is in Bavu. We're not allowed to do those things because because we're not smuchim. So why can't you do those as well as shluchim of the people of Eretz Yisrael? So the more answers, when do we act as shluchim of the people in Eretz Yisrael? Only by things that are commonplace. There we were appointed as messengers and we can carry out these things despite the fact that they were not smuchim. Things that are not common, we cannot carry out their uh, as their messengers. So therefore, what emerges is when it comes to gitin, uh, when it comes to halvois and ahidois, uh, those are commonplace things. We can act as their messengers. Gezelos and chavalos that are not common, we cannot. Let's move on to the final section, the fourth section of the day. We're going to talk about rumors now and the way we that impacts halacha. If a rumor comes out in a city that a woman is married, so we believe the rumor, and that girl who was prior looked at as single would require a get before she marries somebody else. Migurashes, and I'll explain like Rashi. If it said if the rumor comes out and says that she was divorced, Harezu Migurashes, she will be considered divorced. Rashi explains we're not talking about a regular woman would be considered divorced to remarry, because certainly a rumor would not undo Ashes Ish status. What it means over here is if there was a woman who's married to a Kohen and the rumor came out that he divorced her, we're actually going to force them to separate. That's a simple shot in the Mishnah because it's a Grusha and a Kohen now. However, we only keep the rumor serious, take the rumor seriously as, as long as amasla. As long as there's no negating or mitigating, mitigating factor along with the rumor. What is an amasla that would negate the effects of the rumor? 
Girish ish So the rumor comes out that a man divorced his wife, Altanai, but on condition. Okay, so it makes this a little bit gray now. It's not clear. There, we're not going to take it as seriously. Or, Zarak la kedushah, safikar of la, safikar of loy. The rumor came out that he threw a kedushin to her, but it was a safik if it was closer to her or him, and we don't know if they're actually married. Zliyamasla, that would negate, this would affect, negate the effects of the rumor because it's some sort of a mitigating factor along with it. Now the Gemara right away challenges that second point of the Mishnah and says, how can you say that if a rumor comes out that an Aishas Cohen was divorced by her husband, that we would take that seriously and she has to separate? Fasrina and La Gavra, are we going to prohibit her on her husband? But Ravashi says, whenever there's a rumor that follows the Nesuin having taken place already, if the rumor comes out before they were married, so then we would take it seriously. But after they're married, we disregard the rumor. So if a rumor comes out that a woman who had married a Cohen was a Zono or a Grusha from beforehand, but the rumor came out after they were married, we disregard it. So how can you ask her on her husband here? So the Gemara says that's not the Pshat in the Mishnah. You have to learn the second part of the Mishnah connects to the first. And Hachika Amar, Yatashma Be'ir, the Reish of the Mishnah says, if the rumor comes out in the city saying that she was Mikudeshes married, Harezu Mikudeshes, we have to assume that she was married, and now in order for her remarry, you'd require some sort of a get to permit her to remarry again. However, if the rumor that came out in the city was that she was and then divorced from the same husband, turning to pay Aleph, then we'll look at it as the, the divorce that followed the rumor of marriage breaks the rumor of marriage. And therefore, my time, what's the reason? It's like the rumor, but the mitigating factor with it, and therefore she's not going to require a get because we'll look at her as her original status as a penuya, and therefore she is single, does not require a get from that rumor. We're stopping at the top of Paytest and with Aleph. As Hashem will continue talking about rumors and off Paytest tomorrow. Everybody have a wonderful day. Shalom and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. I love sharing Torah classes and thank you for listening to this episode. Feel free to follow and to share with others so they too can enjoy the Torah classes on this podcast. Now, on to the episode.